0: Hi everybody. <laughs> I am very happy to talk about this and when the series of rest came up it really struck me like oh I want to talk about that because for those of you guys that know me really well I'm not very good at resting. Um, when we got married which is almost five years ago um, uh, in this December will be five years The pastor that married us, who is a dear friend of mine, we've done ministry together for about 10 years, he made a joke in the very beginning about me being always tired. And everybody in the audience laughed. And it made me feel really bad because this pastor is the one person that I know who actually sleeps less than I do. We still email each other back and forth at 2 and 3 in the morning. So I'm talking about rest as someone that doesn't necessarily have a very easy time Resting. And I'm not sure if, for me, I think possibly it goes back to, um, I'm half Japanese. And from a very early age, my grandmother raised me with this very strong work ethic. Um, Always being responsible, always doing what needed to be done, always doing my part, which somehow turned into everything. My part was always everything. If something needed to be done, then I should be out there doing it. And that's not a bad thing, but it makes actually getting rest somewhat hard. And the last three and a half years of my life, like Daniel was saying, I've been doing my master's at Fuller Seminary. I finish in March and graduate in June. So that's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. But anybody who's been a student, you know, undergrad, graduate, anything, you know that being a student is not really restful. And then on top of that, you know, I've been in ministry for wow, over like 12 years now. Doing ministry is not restful. So all of these different things, you know, it's very hard to actually find rest. And what I want to talk today about is something I'm calling rest in the mist. And there's a blank slide there. All the things I've been saying, you know, the reality is we know that life just isn't restful. You know, right now, Pastor Mark just took the kids. For some of you parents, that's rest. You know, you work, you have responsibilities, you have families, Rest is not something that comes easy. And this is part of why we love Tony. (laughs) Because Tony helps us make up for our lack of rest because he gives us lots of nice caffeine along with good conversation. (laughs) See, when I was growing up, it was always this thing about people falling asleep in church. I fell asleep in church when I was a kid. And when uh, a church that I worked on staff at where we actually did TV shows, we would actually put the camera around in the audience and see people every week. It happened. It just happens. But that's also why we're at 430, and it's also why we caffeinate people. And if anybody needs caffeine right now, you know, feel free, I won't be upset. Feel free to go and get some coffee. But life is not really restful. This is hard. You know, work-life balance. You know, especially in this area, what is that? You know, we have our emails on our phones. We check everything all the time. We have expectations of doing things at all hours of the day, every day of the week. Um, My mother-in-law likes to ask me if all of my other student friends work as hard as I do because I'm up late at night and I'm doing stuff. I usually tell them that I think they're a little bit, you know, worse. It's just what you do. You know, life doesn't necessarily give you the opportunity to rest. It doesn't consider if you're sick or if you're tired or if you've had hard stuff. And sometimes I think that, at least for me, the idea of, oh, I'm not resting, oh, I'm not resting, you can start to feel a bit negative about that, like you're doing something wrong. And that's really not what I'm trying to do today. Life is not always restful. And especially, I believe this, if we're caring, responsible people, then we're not always going to get enough rest. You you, you don't tell your kids, oh, I'm tired. I just, you know, I, I can't be your parent for a few hours, you know, come talk to me later. You you can't do that, or with spouse, or family. You do what you have to do, and even, you know, to get really personal for me, like I said, I I talked a little bit about my upbringing, but when I was young um, in church, growing up in youth ministry and adult ministry, we talked a lot about rest. Um, We went through all kinds of different scriptures, and I think one way or the other, I took them in a bit of a Maybe more of a negative way. Like, you know, I remember being in college, doing my undergrad, being a complete insomniac because of all the stuff I was doing. And hearing people preach on, you know, God gives rest to those he loves. And thinking, does God actually love me? Because I'm not sleeping. <laughs> you know, and then in, we would teach in our young adult group on Hebrews. And in Hebrews, there's a lot of talk about entering the rest of God and a lot of people, you know, there's a lot that it speaks of that really talks about the rest that comes after this life. And so I couldn't help but sit there and wonder, does that mean I don't get to actually rest until I'm dead? <laughs> but that's honestly not what I think the Bible speaks of when it talks about rest. And I believe that the rest of God that the, that's spoken of in the Bible is not just something that we can look forward to when we die. But it's something that we can experience in this age, and what I want to do today is I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about some very practical steps, looking at Psalm 23. And, and just full disclosure, my purpose today, talking through these scriptures, is not to examine or focus some of the main points, but to look at some of the smaller details that I think sometimes are really easy to overlook. And so, if you have your Bibles, if we can turn to Psalm 23, "The Lord is my shepherd; I lack nothing." He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows." Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this is arguably one of the most famous passages in Scripture, probably other than John 3.16. I'm sure most of us own stuff at home that has some portion of this passage on it. And it's easy to see why. You know, it's such a reassuring verse. It gives us so much to look forward to. But at the same time, the picture that it paints is not just something that's peaceful, resting when everything is going well, everything is perfect, there's no troubles. But it actually gives a picture of rest during difficulties. And I think about that part where it talks about going through the valley of the shadow of death, where it talks about you having a meal in the presence of your enemies. Those are not things that, you know, we don't typically like to do those things, I don't typically try to eat in front of people that I know hate me. I can't imagine that would be comfortable. But that's the picture that it paints. And so I think about the, the, the image of resting in God that we see in the Scripture is not just something like this, but it's also potentially something like this. And if you've seen that—this is a clip from Batman, and if you've seen Batman— in this movie, he has a fear of bats that comes from when he was a little kid and he fell into this cave. And so this is him being older and coming back to. I like that clip. And I like if you look at his face when he's standing up, he almost has this look of peace on him. That he, you know, he has this moment when everything's going on around him that he actually finds peace. And that's what I mean about finding rest in the middle, in the mist. And what I believe this psalm gives a picture of is a rest that's found in God based on trust and confidence. And that's something I want to come back to later. But to talk about rest, I want to talk about a few practical things. First, rest in the body. And this is, I think, honestly, probably the easiest thing for all of us to consciously neglect. Now, was it, about a month ago or so, Alex and Lisa got married. And they're sitting there in the back of the table. And Abe and Tony were groomsmen. And Melissa and I helped out with the wedding. And it was a long day. And we, um, the groomsmen stayed for pictures. They helped with teardown and everything. Melissa and I came back. We helped with set up here. And as soon as we were done, we went back and met Abe and Tony and unloaded all this huge truck of stuff into Alex and Lisa's new home, which obviously they weren't there because they were getting ready to leave. And we were, I think we finished around, what was it, nine, like almost ten or something. Abe and Tony and I, we go, we grab some food. We hadn't eaten for like five hours. We're tired. Um, The guys come back to our place. And we don't really make it very far because Abe basically came. He laid down face first on the floor in our house. No pillow, no nothing. He didn't move for two hours. And we weren't quite sure if he was breathing because, you know, there was no up-and-down motion. He was just out and just tired. And this is also not the first time. So Tony has this picture. This is from a beach trip (laughs) that we took. It's my wife's shoe, and that's Abe, face down in the sand. But I think it makes a good point that sometimes you just need to face-plant He was tired. He needed rest. And sometimes I think we're really good at, you know, we have responsibilities. We have things to do. We have um, our job is pressing on us, or we have to take care of family. And we just keep pushing past our body. We keep pushing past we need some rest. And we just keep doing and doing and doing. And it's sometimes good just to actually take this cue from ourselves. Find some rest wherever you can. And I actually believe that there's a small and kind of silly precedent for this in Scripture. There's a story that's in Mark um, 4, 35-38, and Matthew 8 and 23. It's the story of Jesus calming the storm. And I'm not actually going to talk about it too much because I know that it's going to be covered later in this series. And I'm at, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff that goes on the story. Jesus calms the waters, and his disciples are amazed. But there's one point that I saw that I thought was very interesting and very cool, Jesus was asleep. You know, and we kind of joke sometimes, especially in school, we joke about the verse where it says Jesus wept. I like to say Jesus slept. And there's a there's a lot of different commentary and talk about what it means that he was asleep, he was asleep in the boat. Um, there's different quotes like this. You know, one the image is not of the superior human being who is always master of the situation, but the Lord of Nature who is master over its onslaught. And another commentary says the depiction of Jesus asleep at the stern is reminiscent of Odysseus, and it's also reminiscent of the the ancient Near Eastern symbol of the sleeping deity. The divine king could sleep undisturbed because his authority was unquestioned. And that's all very interesting and very cool. Honestly, to, to go with a very practical, I just think Jesus was tired and he took a nap. You know, if, if you read this story, he was just doing a bunch of ministry and he was very tired and he was kind of drawing away from the crowds. He took a nap. And I think it illustrates something very practical and so, you know, almost silly, but something that I think is good to remember. Get some rest while you can. You know, And if you're anything like me with that work ethic that I talked about, sometimes I feel bad about taking some time out to get some rest because I feel like I should be doing some things or I need to help my grandmother or I need to do something for ministry or whatever. Sometimes we just need a little bit of rest. And this actually leads into a second thing, which is almost as important, but I think a little bit easier to neglect. Rest in the mind. You know, As we keep going, as we keep pushing as we keep doing things that take their toll day in, day out, sometimes the rest that we need is not simply physical. Sometimes what we need is rest and relief for our mental state. And I think it's somewhat easier to ignore because sometimes the physical signs of, oh, I'm really tired, oh, I'm really sleepy, you ignore the fact that maybe you're dealing with things that press on you. Maybe you're dealing with work and it's difficult day in, day out, and after a while. It builds up. And resting your mind is not simply the same as resting your body. Sometimes taking a nap will help. Sometimes what you need is actually some space away from that. And it's not simply just, you know, for for some people, you can study your Bible and you can pray. And I always encourage those things, but sometimes that's not exactly the rest we need. Sometimes I would even say that maybe the best thing that we can do is listen to some music. Or watch a movie, or you know, just engage in something that just helps us to get a little bit of a different perspective. And there's a book that I really like. Um, there's an author named Steve Turner. He's a um, journalist. He's also a Christian. He wrote a book called Pop Culture, and it's a really interesting read. It's, he's talking about ways as Christians to faithfully consume culture and critique it, and also be culture creators. And he says this about engaging in pop culture not just for enjoyment but because God can actually use it to influence us. He says, He, God, can use songs to encourage us, movies to deepen our understanding of ourselves, biographies to inspire us, television to educate us, journalism to inform us. We are able to pray in a more compassionate way because of news gatherers. marvel at creation more deeply because of nature photographers, feel less isolated because of songwriters, build more communities of like-minded people because of the internet. Truth is truth, whoever may say it. And because people are made by God, they can't help discovering and passing on truth. It may be mixed with falsehoods. It's our job to work it out. But we must revere truth wherever we encounter it. You know, I think there's a reason why, you know, I just showed a movie clip. So many, you go to, so, I, I forget, there's statistics about like how many movie clips are used per service in the average church in America. It's pretty high. There's a reason why. It's not just because we're out of ideas and we lack creativity and we just want to you know, borrow on you know, Batman to get cheers. But it, these things help us illustrate points better sometimes than we can just by teaching something or saying something. And I had a thing like this about a month ago. Um, I was studying and working on some stuff related to discipleship, and I had spent hours going through material, and I was reading some stuff, and I was also dealing with some case studies of like churches that we we're working with. And it was getting really heavy, and I was hitting a point where nothing was clicking in my mind, and I couldn't figure out why I should encourage this church to do these things because it just didn't seem to make any sense. And I hit a point where I felt like I hit a wall I was pretty tired, and so I had um, I had picked up some movies for a couple friends that day. I bought X Men for myself, and so I, I I sat I put away all my homework. I sat down, I made some dinner, and just watched the X Men movie. Totally, nothing other than just trying to just you know relax a little bit. And there was a point in the movie, like maybe halfway through, there was one line that was said that just somehow managed to make everything that I had been studying for the entire day just click. It did it so well that it actually kind of brought me to tears. I cried at X-Men, which is weird. But just, but just the fact that it illustrated what I was studying and the principles I was studying about discipleship in such a good way that it, just, it, it, it made everything that wasn't working fit together. And I think about that point, you know, that truth is truth. If we're open to God speaking to us, you know, we know that God speaks to us through, through the Bible. We know that God speaks to us through pastors and friends and people. We know that he speaks to us through prayer. But God, you know, the, the world is God's and everything in it. And being open to having God engage us wherever and however God chooses, I think is a beautiful thing. And it's important that we give our minds rest. Because an unrested mind is a bad thing, you know. We don't generally encourage people to go and make very important life-altering decisions when they're really tired and stressed out. Why? Because you usually don't make the best decisions when you're really tired and stressed out. You know, how many of us know some people that when they're sleepy, they just they'll agree to anything, they'll do anything. It's, oh, I don't care. I'm tired. Yeah, I'm tired. You know. We want to do well. We want to take care of our families and friends. We want to honor God and our responsibilities. If we want to do that, we have to do our best to actually keep ourselves in a good mental state. And I also think about, too, in resting my mind, for me, sometimes the best thing is rest with friends. You know, being able to just go out and spend time with people that you care about and just spend time with people that you can talk to. And sometimes you talk about deep things. Sometimes you talk about, you know— very pressing things. Sometimes you just spend time together, but somehow it lifts your soul. Somehow it makes you feel different. Somehow the pressures that you had from your day or your week are just somewhat softened by that. And I think it's an important thing to hold on to. And, and this leads to something else, and this actually brings us back to what I was talking about earlier. resting your soul. And this is where actually um, the talk will get a little bit heavier because um, I believe that in trying to find rest in God, there are some issues and there are some questions that come up, and they actually deal with some really large questions. And I think it's really illustrated well. C.S. Lewis, who is by far probably the most influential Christian writer as far as my life and, and my theology, um, he, in his later years, met a, a woman, an American author, and they got married when she was already somewhat sick. They were married for three years, and he basically watched her die of cancer. And this book, A Grief Observed, is essentially something of a journal that he wrote talking through his feelings and his experience in dealing with the loss. And it's interesting because he wrote it he published it. Um, when it was published, it was published under a pseudonym of N.W. Clerk. And so his friend started saying to him, Oh, hey, you should read this book. <laughs> but it's interesting because as he's going through this grief, and if you've read C.S. Lewis, you know that he is a champion of a lot of you know, Christian apologetics and talking about the character of God. As he's going through his grief, he doesn't really start to question if God is real, if God exists. But he starts to actually question if God is good. It's not the question that he has of does God exist. Somehow he knew that. It was was enough that he had already been through in his life that he knew that God existed. But he started to really doubt if God was good. And if you've read Lewis, this is kind of a, Interesting thing because, again, he's such a champion of the idea of the goodness of God. Mere Christianity builds the entire case around the idea that God is good. Even in his fiction writings, like the Narnia books, he talks about the lion as, you know, he's not safe, but he's good. But what if the lion is not just not safe, but not good? And see, for Lewis, he started to really—his questioning led him to start fearing the idea that God was some kind of cosmic sadist who just enjoyed giving out torture to people and watching them suffer. Later, he started to think about if God was something like a dentist or a surgeon who, you know, they're trying to do something good, but they're basically causing pain as they do it. And I think that his questions here really come to something kind of primal, that— I believe often when we as Christians, when we start to question if God exists, it's actually an internal response to an underlying question of the goodness of God. Is God good? And I think it presents something interesting as we start to work through this and as we confront the question. Because when you read, it's something that I've picked up a lot in my study at Fuller in studying the Bible for, you know, not just on my own, but like in the company of really thoughtful, educated people, is that the Bible doesn't spend so much time trying to prove the existence of God. I've heard it said a lot of ways, but I think this is a really good way to phrase it, that the writers of the Bible are much less concerned with proving that God exists, but rather with describing God's character. And I think this is part of why sometimes when we start to really have those doubts about does God exist, we have a harder time gleaning truth from Scripture because it's not something that the Bible answers as much. And for C.S. Lewis, one of the things that he talks about in A Grief Observe that he's very critical of is something that he calls the comforts of religion. And I thought about this. And, you know it, he describes in different ways the things that just you know people do in religion to feel better, and I thought about it in a modern context, and this is even something that was brought up last week and I, I show these you know full well saying that you know, i 've said many of these too you know having there 's a lot of these little light sayings and things you know how can you say no to a puppy on there talking about this or, or the little <laughs> kitty there you know. The thing about these, things, these little things, they help us feel better and deal with lighter things or disappointments or small frustrations. You know, but there's something else that goes on when we start to kind of really take these to heart. The name it and claiming is an interesting one. It's actually a four-point guarantee that if you do A, B, C, and D, then everything will work out perfectly. Um, here's another one. and This one I thought was particularly interesting, especially if you know Charlie Brown. Trust God. When we trust God, the future always holds hope. And if you've ever seen any of the Charlie Brown specials or the comic strips, you know that he never gets to kick that ball. <laughs> Lucy always pulls the ball away. So is this thing saying that basically when you, ha- when, when you have God, you always have hope even though you're never going to actually get to kick the ball? <laughs> or that maybe, maybe you'll be able to kick the ball. I'm not quite sure. And see, that's where all of this, what it starts to do, is it starts to really shape and influence the image that we hold of God. And this comes down to a larger thing. We talk about it a lot at Spark about the reputation of God. As we start to go through and as we start to hear these sayings and as we're taught these different things, we build up an image to where God is in control of every single thing that happens in our lives, period. God micromanages every little bit to the point where basically God is responsible for every single thing that happens to us. And I think the tragedy of this, and I think why this starts to lead us to question things, is that this image of God that basically orchestrates everything that is responsible for every single little thing makes us lose sight of something that is explained in Scripture, that God is with us. And let me phrase it this way, that, you know, when we start to ask questions of why things happen. When we start to think about, you know, why, not just why is there suffering in the world, but why am I suffering in this way? Why has my life turned out this way? Why am I dealing with this hardship? Those are questions that Scripture can't always answer. You know, the Bible gives explanations for why there is sin in the world, for why, you know, how human free will affects things, but it doesn't give an explanation for every specific thing that's bad or every specific thing that happens to you. But what the Bible does talk about is the fact that God loves us, that God is with us, that God is for us, that God is good. Possibly, you know, the biggest demonstration in the fact that God sent his son to become a human being, to identify with humanity, to be with humanity. That when we're low, when we're dealing with pain, that that's when the heart of God is with us. And I think the hard thing is that when we start to have this image of God, you know, basically being all-powerful, in control of every single thing, it leaves us with that deep nagging, can I trust God? Because God is good. Is God good? And what this comes down to is this. For our souls to find rest in God, We have to believe not just that God exists, but that God is good. To really be able to find rest in God deep in our souls, it's not just a matter of believing if God is actually there, but believing that this God that we put our faith and our trust in is good, that he can be trusted. And this is something that if we wrestle with it, if we struggle with it, i that's okay. You know, even potentially, it comes down to healing the image of God. And wherever we're at with this struggle, I believe that there's hope and there's healing. Maybe for a lot of you, you know, the retreat next week will become, because this is a big topic for part of it, but whatever way that you need to, Just deal with and know that God is good. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you to be able to share today with friends and family. And I just pray that wherever we're at, with needing rest and trusting in you, that you would just meet us. You know what's in our hearts. You know where we're at in our lives. And I just pray that everybody here would be able to know and experience your rest. In Jesus' name, amen.